1999, the North American Mission Board announced the beginning of what was to be a 10-year-long initiative that they called Strategic Focus Cities. The intent was that each year they would select two major metropolitan areas where they would then pour resources, focus prayers, evangelism, and church planting efforts. It was scheduled to begin in the summer of 2000, July 8th, to be precise. And to kick it off, they sent out the call to churches across our convention for 100,000 volunteers to gather in Chicago where they would seek to intentionally share their faith with at least a million people who didn't know Jesus as Savior. It was an ambitious undertaking based on a belief, a firm belief, that God wants people to know him and wants to use us to tell them about Jesus. When news of their intentions broke, the Council of Religious Leaders of Metropolitan Chicago, representing 40 other Christian and Jewish organizations, immediately raised objections. Criticizing the plan is inappropriate. They were some of the strongest advocates calling for the Home Mission Board to call it off And instead, they suggest that the volunteers come there, don't talk about Jesus, just come and do service projects, and they would join with us. Because they believed that faith is purely personal matter. And while the church is supposed to help people, we have no business sharing our faith in public. In other words, you're supposed to do good, just keep quiet about it. Now, actions can speak louder than words, but sometimes... It reaches the point, you have to say something. People don't get upset or offended when we do good things or help those in need. In fact, most would say that's what churches, what Christians are supposed to do, and we do. But as we will see as we continue in the story of the healing of the man born lame found in Acts 3 and 4, it's when we start talking about Jesus that problems often arise. Now, by, through the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 3, we saw how Peter and John had healed this man who had been born lame. They then went into the temple where this man created such a commotion that people gathered just to find out what was happening. Peter seized the opportunity and began proclaiming the gospel in fulfillment of Jesus' words that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. This morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week as Peter and John finished speaking in the temple courtyard. Acts 4, beginning in verse 1, says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed. Other versions use such words as vexed or irked or greatly annoyed. It was a polite way for the translators to say they were upset. They were really mad. Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. 
They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. For salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Here, once again, we see the primary role of the Spirit in the book of Acts is not the miracles and the tongues. It's enabling God's people to witness to Christ. The healing of the man made it possible by getting people's attention. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot to deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let him go, and they could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The Jewish leaders would have been fine if the disciples had healed the man and left it at that. But as they started talking about Jesus, that's when trouble really began. And really, today is no different. People are fine when we in the church seek to give to alleviate hunger or help with disaster relief or care for widows and orphans and elderly and battered women and visit shut-ins and work with troubled youth and provide preschool and child care and support groups for people recovering from various addictions and all the other ministries that churches are involved in. But it's when we start talking about Jesus declaring, as Peter says here, salvation is found in no one else but him, that many consider us meddling, and objections often come. Not realizing the contradiction and hypocrisy of accusing the church of intolerance and narrow-mindedness. People are not going to be offended or upset when you do something good for them. They will say, that's what you're supposed to do as a follower of Christ. It's when you tell them about Jesus that you may find objection. Just this morning, I saw the news that the famous atheist and outspoken critic of Christianity, Richard Dawkins, had a stroke. The Church of England now is being strongly criticized in public because they said they would pray for him. It's okay what they do on their own, but don't do it publicly. Do good, keep quiet, has become a dominant belief of what we're supposed to do. Help people, 
Just don't tell them why you're doing it. The church is viewed as another social service organization, a place to go when you need help. What it fails to acknowledge or recognize is why we do what we do or why we should be doing what we do. It's to be our faith and belief that people need to hear about God's love that guide us. In Peter, it says, In your heart, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Without our witness, there's really very little that distinguishes us from any other social service organization. So while our state and city are talking actively about the need to address homelessness in Hawaii, if you look at who are the ones actually doing things to feed them and to help them with clothing, it's people from the churches volunteering their time and their resources to do it right now. Historically, it wasn't the government, but it was churches and believers that started orphanages and hospitals and schools and food pantries and the whole area of social services. And so even with things like FEMA and international aid organizations, every time a disaster strikes somewhere, whether it's a hurricane or a tsunami or an earthquake, a flood, the vast majority of volunteers who go at their own expense or give to it is from churches just like ours whether it's through organizations like the Red Cross or the Disaster Relief Arm of North American Mission Board, it's people of faith that primarily are the ones there serving food and clearing away debris and rebuilding homes and helping people pick up the pieces unless they're there as a part of their job hired to go in. That's what we are to do. We help people in need. Unfortunately, over time, it's increasingly divorced from why we're doing it, sharing our witness of God's love in Christ. So when the state started talking about the need to expand early childhood education opportunities, something dominated by small churches like ours, the discussions have been largely in the last few years, we want to continue to do that and provide more. We want to find ways to provide funds and scholarships, but all the proposals so far have been But churches cannot talk about God or even put a cross on the wall for the children to see. The deed gets divorced from the motive behind it. People are not offended by good deeds. They're offended when we talk about Jesus. So here in this passage, like the Sadducees telling the apostles in verse 18, you can do good things, just stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus we need to be reminded sometimes of Peter's answer in verse 19. Is it right to obey God or man? The world says it's personal, keep it to yourself. God says, tell others, be my witnesses. Who are you going to listen to? Something happened to Peter and John and the other disciples that literally changed their lives and it changes ours also. The passage mentions three things in particular. The first one is found in verse 13 when it says that these opponents, these religious leaders, recognized that they had spent time with Jesus. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with with Jesus. You'd hardly recognize these as the same ones that were mending their nets 
just three years earlier. Back when he first followed Jesus, Peter always seemed to be putting his foot in his mouth. John had a temper, which is why he was known as one of the sons of thunder. Yet here they are, standing before the Jewish high court, the same ones who had just sentenced Jesus to death, whom the general population lived in fear of, and yet Peter, poor, uneducated fisherman, not cowering, but speaks up boldly and intelligently about Christ to them. And there's no sign of John's anger getting the best of him or saying something he would be sure to regret. Together, they openly defy some of the most powerful men in Israel, telling them that they have no intention of keeping quiet. And as the Sanhedrin realized, they had been with Jesus. Something happened, and it changed their lives. And now they were determined to tell the world about it. What about you? Are you spending time with the Lord so that he can change your life as well? Are you being with Jesus? You know, we may not have his physical presence to walk with us, but we have his word If you want to be changed, you need to spend time with him. Get to know him. Get to know what he said. Get to know what he did. Get to know how he wants you to live, just as the disciples got to know him. Because it is through his word that we spend time with him, just as the disciples did. Not just his word. We need to spend time with him in prayer, talking with him regularly. Spend time with him in praise and worship. If we're going to be changed or transformed like the apostles, Like them, we have to spend time with him. Not only had they been with Jesus, but in verse 20 it says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's the second thing that happened that changed their lives. They had witnessed firsthand the resurrection. They spoke up because they had seen the risen Lord. After all, he's alive. How can we keep silent? But he's alive. How can we? Keep silent. Or like Billy Graham so famously put it, I can tell you that God is alive because I talked with him this morning. One of the greatest arguments in favor of the truth of the resurrection is the changed lives of the disciples. Overnight, they were different people. There's no explanation that anyone has ever been able to give satisfactory of that change apart from the fact that he rose from the dead just as Scripture says. And one of the greatest arguments we can make to others of the truth of the gospel is how God is alive and changes our lives. How he's alive in us because we have witnessed his resurrection in us. We don't keep it to ourselves or keep quiet about it. Like Peter and John, we are to tell people what we have seen and heard and experienced. And so as the story continues to play out in Acts, they get this warning from these leaders, they're released on the condition that they keep quiet. They might keep doing good, but don't speak in the name of Jesus, they're told. But if you keep reading in chapter 5, again they're arrested, and in verse 28 of chapter 5, these leaders say, we gave you strict orders not to keep teaching about Jesus, and yet you filled Jerusalem with it. And Peter's response is even more adamant this time. He doesn't ask which is the right thing to do. He states clearly in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. For we have seen with our own eyes that God raised him from the dead. And he tells them we're going to keep right on doing it. 
This time, they're beaten, commanded again not to speak about Jesus, which, of course, they continue to ignore. And when they're released, it says they actually go out rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering for Christ. And in verse 42, it says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What about you? What do you have to say about Jesus? Don't we sometimes keep quiet because we think we don't know or think we have anything to say about him? But if Jesus is real in your life, something happened when he saved you. He arose. And whether you realize it or not, you too have been with Jesus and you have something to say and something to share. I mean, just consider, why are you a Christian? That's something you can share. Has he made any difference at all in your life? That's something you can share. How has he changed your life? That's part of your testimony. Don't keep it to yourself. When you accept Christ, something happens. He is alive. Now you have something to say. Something happened to change the disciples' lives by their spending time with him, by their witnessing of the resurrection. And in verse 8, it says, the third item, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Something happened, particularly at Pentecost, that changed their lives and gave them even more to say. I mean, after all, think about it. When Jesus was arrested, all the apostles ran away. They were scared that they would be arrested with him. When he was on trial before the high priest, Peter denies that he knows Jesus three times in fear of being associated with him. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, all but John were hiding, apparently never even came to see Jesus. On Easter morning, as Jesus is rising from the dead, they're huddled together, hiding in fear in the upper room. And even after they had seen the risen Lord, after the resurrection, they stayed in hiding, keeping to themselves, not sure what to do next. Then Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and something happened that changed them. Suddenly they're different. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he's no longer hiding, but he's preaching in the temple courts about Jesus. You will be my witness, Jesus had said. A few days later, they're heading to the temple, and they heal a man, and not only are they preaching in the temple courts, but they get arrested for it, and they're not cowering in fear, but they're confronting the very ones that sentenced Jesus to death. As verse, 18, verse 8 says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and from that reality he spoke. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you as well. You might not do miracles or heal people born lame, but you have something to share because the Spirit is in you. Something's happened in your life. You are his witness. Whereas Paul says in Corinthians, we have become a new creation. The old is gone. Something new has come. Ultimately, we have something to say because something happened at the cross and the tomb that changes life itself. And so Peter says, salvation's found nowhere else but Jesus Christ. And who's going to make that known but us? Something may, we may not realize today. Yes, it's Valentine's Day, but it's another 
day, something else significant of this day. I bet none of you know what it is. February 4th or 14th is the birthday of the phone. <laughs> Didn't know that, did you? On February 14th, 1876, Alexander Graham Bell, on his 29th birthday, the patent for the telephone was filed on his behalf. He was an amazingly talented person. 18 patents in his own name, another 12 he shares with collaborators. Co-founder of the prestigious Science Magazine, he was president for a number of years of the National Geographic Society. He spent almost his whole adult life working on behalf of the deaf. But of course, his most famous invention was the telephone which made both his family and his descendants very wealthy. But he refused to have a telephone in his own study because he feared it would be too great a distraction. Think about it as you see people walking down the street staring at a screen, not watching where they're going, or driving and staring at a screen. He realized with wisdom back then. But he almost lost it all. He started working on it, actually, in 1874 or so. And he believed in it, and he believed in its value. He just never seemed to find the time to submit the patent for it. Finally, his father-in-law, who had been one of the main financiers of his research, became so impatient that he filed the patent on Bell's behalf. And it was a good thing he did because within a matter of hours, another scientist by the name of Elisha Gray went to the patent office to file his own patent on a machine he had been working on, his own version of the telephone, and there were court cases and lawsuits that pursued for years. But simply knowing and believing that something was good, as Bell did, wasn't enough if he wasn't going to do something about it. Like the apostles... Something significant happened when you accepted Christ. You have something to share with the world. And you can either listen to God or you can listen to the world. It's not simply enough to believe that people need to hear about the Lord and are lost without him. Or that even you have a responsibility to be his witness if you're not going to do something about it. We can believe all the right things, but if we don't get around to saying anything... What difference does it make to anyone else? And if you haven't yet opened your heart and life to the one that Acts 4.12 clearly says salvation is found in no one else, there's no other name given by which we must be saved, what difference does it make if you're not going to do something with that? And that's why we have an invitation. An invitation in your heart or publicly to make a commitment to do something about it whether it's to accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, maybe to come up and have someone help lead you in a prayer of commitment, or to unite with the church in serving him, or through baptism, or simply to seek out from God, who is it that he would have you bear witness to of Jesus Christ? It's an invitation. What would God have you do with him and his son? So I'm going to ask if the worship team can come. And as we all stand, would you please join me in prayer? Our Father, as we gather now, aware of your presence in this place, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We are witnesses to that because he's alive in us. 
May we spend time with him, and because of that time, be different people, filled with your spirit, aware that life is different because Christ lives in us. And if anyone does not know that, God, we pray that you will reassure them of your loving care, that they might discover that for themselves, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.